hope they recorded that introduction. <laughs> Damn. That was pretty, he was reminding me on the way over, we went and ate barbecue and, and, uh, uh, I'm an old barbecue guy and it was, buddy, this was primo. Craig picked us up and we, we went over there and ate barbecue. He was reminding me that it, when it was at that facility, my old sponsor started that facility and I went over there to run it after he passed away. That's the only reason I left and, and, uh, he, uh, I bought the whole bunch of them. There was like 20 or 30 guys in there. I bought them all gizzards one day, you know. Now, it's, I mean, it's important that you eat Nutritionally, when you get sober. <laughs> Some of those little, little Yankees had never eaten a gizzard. <laughs> Could have been worse. Anyway. That's why you're sober today. So anyway. <laughs> we'll have some of them little dope fiends in the back down there looking for gizzards after this is over. I just, I'm just telling you. They'll be down at the 7-Eleven looking for... My name is Chris. I'm a very grateful recovered alcoholic. I am just... I'm a little overwhelmed, i got to tell you. Uh, sometimes you walk into conferences, and Katie and Charlie, and the, Bill, I'm sure you can, some of the guys that I'm sharing the podium with this weekend, we, you walk in and there's just, you know, there's a lot of people, and there's a lot of this, and, you know, it's just a lot of uncomfortableness, and, and, uh, and then every once in a while you get something like this where there's a bunch of little thumpers from hell, and, you know, I've known, I've known some of you, most of my sobriety and uh, shared the podium with some of you and it's, I, it's just like I'm so honored to have been asked to to be here um, it's a delight oh look there's people over here um, <laughs> sometimes one-eyed jokes just goes right over their head I still gotta laugh. I think some of y'all think this is a prop. You know, I, I can't see them over. They could be naked and on fire. I couldn't. Y'all look up there. Y'all can see me. That thing's big enough. Have I got any little boogers coming? That's terrible. I've got some stuff I want to cover for sure. And, um, I'm going to be here afterwards. Y'all can come visit. And I'm here all day tomorrow and Sunday morning. I get to do a little deal about working with others, which is one of my favorite topics of all time. Before I get into any of this, I want to say uh, uh, two things. Uh, Patty says, tell y'all hi. My wife, she says, tell y'all hi. And uh, she's sick that she missed you because there's some Yankees in here. And she's, never mind. She likes, <laughs> she's a Yankee. My dad would die if he knew I married a Yankee. She's something. She's in the program and uh, uh, loves AA as much as I do. Uh, I had a guy, I was talking in Georgetown not long ago, Charlie and them were there, and I had a guy come up and says, well, are you ready to piss the whole room off? And see, I don't find it funny. Because it hurts, it hurts my feelings. There was a day, I suppose, I didn't give two poots what you thought. I, I do today. Folks, let me just tell you, the only thing I can do up here, I'm going to come out of the big book and I've got some notes so I kind of stay on topic. I want to be absolutely clear that I'm here to share my experience 
And that's all I can possibly share. My story is going to be different than your story, my experience in the steps. Big Bill Wilson says it in the book, each of us in our own way, we're going to carry this message and we're going to do the steps different. Bill did a beautiful job earlier sharing about that. I mean, it's this is what we do. This is not lock stuff. You've got to do it my way. This is this is not that way. I, I, I've never intended that to be the message. But sometimes that's the way it seems to translate. Uh, I'm a little irritated sometimes with middle-of-the-road recovery, and you'll hear some of that in my story i just i got to tell the story uh we were at uh some of y'all i met at the international uh, i know uh, katie and charlie were there and patty and i were coming home it was in, it went in atlanta and patty, we were coming home after the deal was over and we were on the bus heading to the to the airport and this nice lady gets on the bus and I'm an old West Texas boy, so I, you know, get up. There's no seats in the place, and I, I get my little skinny ass up and let, let this nice lady sit down. And she's got her little girl, obviously a sponsee, because she's got her around the neck like we. I don't know if any of y'all have ever been to a calf roping, but that's, she got she got her short leashed, you know. Come on, in. and of course we're we're in Atlanta because we're in Atlanta. We're in an anonymous program. And she's got this balloon hat on with AA on it, you know. And <laughs> this flashing, flashing thing on her lapel, you know. Oh, my God. One day at a time. Oh, my God. We, we were so not anonymous. Thank God. I mean, it was just, we were having a time. And she thanked me, and she sat down. And Patty's sitting right over there. And, and we're sitting there on the way. And the lady, she said, now, remember, honey, she's patting the girl on the hand. And she says, now, remember what we talked about yesterday. All you got to do is work one step a year, and you're going to be okay. Can I get a witness? I know. <laughs> well, I'm down there looking at this lady, and Patty's looking at me because she's afraid I'm going to say something. You know, like I'm going to thump this lady on the head, and, and I'm just and I'm looking, and it dawns on me, literally with tears in my eyes, this lady loves the Alcoholics Anonymous as much as I do. If work, one step a year works for her, rock on. She's murdering people, but. <laughs> but I, I'm just kidding. She's, I'm sure she's a sweetheart. She may be in this room. I don't know. Bless your heart. I just share my story. I, uh, I got sober finally in 1987. Uh, November 13th, uh, Friday the 13th, I walked in the back door of an AA meeting. And uh, I'd been in AA for seven years. I'll tell you a little bit about my story there. Uh, <laughs> I spent about five years sober. I started working in the treatment business. And I've worked in that industry for 26 years. Uh, I was working at a place down the coast. And finally, I turned 65 um, in September. I know. Oh, if, so if I get, like I can't stand up here, you could help me, Bill. Help me. <laughs> God damn, 65. I mean, isn't it funny? There was a day in Alcoholics Anonymous I couldn't wait to get away from the old the old geezers, you know? And now, man, it's just, I look forward to our quiet time so we can talk about our prostates. and um, <laughs> Our golden years, oh my God. Golly. Turning 26, though, and I'm getting Medicare, Medicaid stuff in the mail, and I'm thinking, you know what, I don't have to travel for work anymore. And so I want to go back. To, I worked at a place for 17 years up in the Hill Country, and I'm back there now full time. So I'm back in Texas at the old place I used to work at. I'm going to tell you, God is, it's been a, it's been one of the most pleasant periods of my life, getting to return to, to my little roots over there and, and, uh, 
I get to spend some time with the patients and lecture a little bit, and I get the little knucklehead relapsers. I've got this little affinity for relapsers because I are one, you know. I, My brother picked, yeah, I know, listen, my brother picked up one desired chip. Pussy. I just, I <laughs> you could tell him I said so too. I don't, God, I, I picked up, I don't know how many I picked up. God, it just, it was like nonstop. I, uh, I was raised up there in the hill country and, um, uh, my junior year of high school, January uh, 1971, uh, the month that Bill Wilson passed away, I took my first drink, big old bo- bottle of Boone's Farm apple wine. It was one of them little, and I, yeah, I feel it. All the hippies, they're always yeah, yeah. Some of you little dope fiends in here again, on your next relapse, go find some Boone's Farm. I'm just telling you. It's good shit. Anyway. I leaned up against one of them big old 700 year old cypress trees down the Guadalupe River and I drank a little bit of that and it was the first time, my dad was an alcoholic and he'd given sips of beer before, slits. I mean, go figure. And, and maybe that's why I'm like I am now. <laughs> but, I, but it never hit the bloodstream. It was just a taste here and a taste there. But I mean, I finished this little bottle. My friend didn't want any more and I drank the rest of it and went back across this field, the cold, you know, January night and I'm walking across this field down there and I'm just, I think I took my first deep, all the way to the gut breath in my adolescent life. I, I don't know. I just, I said, this is why I popped drinks. And it was, it was fine. And I didn't uh, rob a liquor store or take my clothes off. I was to take my clothes off a lot later on down the road, but I didn't, no. I just, it was a nice, nice life. I was in high school, we drank beer, we were smoking pot. I made a commitment with God that I was never going to smoke pot after a bunch of my friends got arrested one summer summer evening. And um, 64 indictments in that hill country. Everybody I went to high school with got arrested ex- except me. Me and my twin brother, we didn't get arrested. And I just said, God, if you'll let me dodge this bullet, I promise you I will never do drugs. And, and I did for a few years. And um, <laughs> Until the alcohol. Y'all understand how alcohol works? You drink it and it's, it's fun as sh- yay. And then you drink it and it's just kind of a pain in the butt, but yay, it's still yay. And you keep drinking and it's just a, it's just, oh God. I don't want to drink and I hate it. I don't like the way I'm just, but I can't not do it. And there's a lot of people sitting in Alcoholics Anonymous that don't understand that. We're fixing to educate you. We're going to talk a little bit about that, but I'll just throw that out there. Real alcoholic, uh, and I, we had to do, Mark used to call it his alcohol enhancers. So I discovered drugs later. So you, you'd end up drinking more. I mean, who knew? All you had to do was a little cocaine, and you could drink a whole bunch. I know this is AA, but I just got to throw that out there. Bill mentioned drugs, so I can. What the hell? I uh, I was in the food business for a whole bunch of years, guys. I was I was I was pretty successful and. Uh, Successful meaning I had an apartment with two beanbag chairs and shag carpet, you know. Y'all remember, some of y'all remember that olive green appliances. Y'all remember that? Oh my God. And listen, and what, listen, in a trim line phone. Oh my God. And I still couldn't get laid. But anyway, probably shouldn't have said that. Okay. 
I'm doing pretty good. I'm holding it together. Uh, you know, I, I get, I, you know, I'm, people love me in the, in the hotel business where I'm at, and I'm in Houston. I've moved and gone over there. But uh, the drinking's kind of catching up with me. And, uh, 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 guys, I I asked God to let this this girl marry me one time. And uh, any of you guys ever make a deal like that? Yeah. God, if you could just let that girl marry me, everything will be okay. I'll quit drinking. I'll, you know. And two weeks later, we're married. And then shortly after that, it was, God, if you could just kill this woman, everything will be okay. <laughs> if we could just get out of the cur- you know, the city, if we could just go back to the country, if we could just do this. this is, I still drive a pickup today because you never know. You know when you might need to throw this stuff in the back and go. But I was up in North Texas. I had a, a chef's job and... Uh, I discovered some of these other things in the 70s. I was back doing a little little outside issue stuff. I'm also seeing a uh, therapist and a psychiatrist in Houston. Um, I'm on a whole bunch of medications. I've been diagnosed with every kind of disorder known to man. Um, with the exception of syphilis, I think I've had everything I can... <laughs> But every time you get one of these these diagnoses, they give you another pill. Oh, Chris, you're not an alcoholic. You're bipolar. Oh, shit, no kidding. Well, I feel a little wacky. Okay, well, and then you give you some medications. You can chop up and snort those, too, and then you just. <laughs> when I tried to commit suicide in 1987, I was on seven pills a day, all doctor-prescribed, and none of those were opiates. These were, these were, all, these were all for my nervous disorders. And, and <laughs> duh. The... Um, I uh, came home one night after work, uh, restaurant business. We were laughing at, at restaurant. I will never get back in that business again because, buddy, they expect you to work at that business. It's just, it is long days. And, and uh, I come home late. And I've been drinking all day long and doing some other stuff. And, and uh, I came in and had something. Uh, it was like Bill had talked about. I don't even remember what the fight was about, but I pushed her. I was mad and I was just something. I just, and I shoved her. And I, again, I, I'm raised on the front row of the Baptist church every time the doors open. I have, Good upbringing. My folks are wonderful people. If there's any dysfunction in my family, it was because I was in it. I mean, it's an old joke, but it's the, it's the damn truth. I don't know. It's, I don't know what it was about. But anyway, she, she asked me to leave, and I left. Walked outside and stayed on the front porch a while. Walked around the block a few times. Came back in a couple hours later, and I apologized. And she said, yeah, well, listen, uh, what was that? And I said, I've been drinking all damn day. It's getting out of hand. I need to do something about it. She said, well, if you need to, if you want to stay with me, you're going to have to quit. And I, absolutely. Folks, I got to, there's a couple of things. Anytime I tell my story, we're going to talk about first step stuff. I, I got to tell you, when I looked her in the face with tears in my eyes and told her that I was going to quit, I meant it with every fiber in my body. I get so tired of telling these stories and AA means everybody laughs. Oh yeah, but alcoholic's mouth's moving, he's lying. I'm going to tell you it's disrespectful and it's not true. Quit. Quit saying it. I didn't understand that I didn't have the power to manage the decision to stay stopped. If you can stay stopped because you want to or need to, you're not an alcoholic. You're welcome in AA, but you're not an alcoholic. I thought I could stay stopped because I loved that woman. She was a nice lady, and there was no reason for any. Two weeks later, the chef asked me to have a beer after work, go over the function sheets for the week, and I had a beer. Drove home that, after, that, that evening afterwards. I actually had two beers at the, at the, at the chef's table, patting myself on the back because I didn't get drunk. Look at me. But my deal with her wasn't that I wasn't going to come home drunk anymore. My deal with her was that I wasn't going to touch another drop. 
And she packed her stuff and left. I went to Alcoholics Anonymous to try to save that marriage and to try to quit drinking. I really, really, really wanted to quit. I really needed to quit. And uh, my first foray up in North Texas was in the early 80s, uh, trying to get sober. And uh, as part of my story, guys, about um, about the time I'm trying to get sober, uh, we had this little piece of legislation in the United States called the Hughes Act. Uh, started in uh, 1971, I guess, is when they finally passed it. Nixon signed it into legislation on his way out the door. Basically, he said he hated the legislation because he knew it was going to cost the government a lot of money. He signed it, and he flipped everybody off and left the White House. You know, that's... But because he did, there's millions of us out there sober today because of it. So, I mean, I, whatever. But the bottom line was is that it became quite lucrative for, for hospital. Every hospital out there had a detox wing because the insurance companies were paying like slot machines because of that piece of legislation. Basically, it allowed insurance companies to be billed for treatment for the first time ever. We could, we could get the care that we needed. And the uh, problem was we got about 15% of the people in the United States as alcoholics and addicts uh, that's that qualify for substance use disorder in this country. It's, the number is about the same every time, every year. But um, we had about 40% of all the beds in the United States segregated for alcohol and drugs. So we were putting anybody and everybody in those beds. Craig's an alcoholic, we're going to put him in. But it's a family disease, so let's get his wife. And she's going to go to treatment too. And then and Bill, you can come along. And every, I mean, everybody's coming in. To the, and, and quite frankly, Alcoholics Anonymous wasn't, I mean, who could be prepared for that? There was over a thousand people a month cranking out of all these facilities coming into Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, buddy, that's going to tax any, any AA group. The, the people out there that needed the sponsorship maybe weren't getting it. But all I'm saying is up in North Texas, what we were going to where we would call, you know, ID meetings, you'd walk in all drunk up, I'm in trouble. And then they said, let's tell Chris how we got here. And then you'd go around and tell all your stupid war stories. Which is great and fascinating and really interesting for about a week. This is where some of you are going to get sweaty. Because I get you to come up afterwards and you'll be in my face. But listen, all we have is our story. No, I'm sorry. We also have a solution. Uh, Just a thought. I don't know. Guys, I'm not, I'm not knocking our stories. I got one too. And everybody needs one uh, for a couple of reasons. Friday night to keep them from falling asleep. Give them a story. God dang it. And in a 12-step call, we're going to talk about Sunday morning. You got to have a story to do a 12-step call. You can't just go up and start preaching to them. They're not going to listen. You got to tell them. But sitting in a meeting day after day, listening to the people go around and tell them how many DWIs they had gets a little old. And it also separates us from everybody else in the room. There'll be some of you that will disagree with it. That's why I don't read the stupid stories in the back of the book. It separates us. What ties us all together, guys, is the symptoms of alcoholism. Can, can y'all relate? You get the nice 18-year-old girl I just met earlier, drop-dead gorgeous, cute as a bug, sharp as a tack. We got nothing in common. <laughs> I'm old geezer with one eye. God dang, we just... <laughs> We got nothing in common until we start talking about what alcoholism is and then we're identical. We're dying from the same disease. We have the common problem and the common solution. But if all we ever do is just want to... Somebody got confused over the years and started believing that there was a chapter in the back of the book called In Despair. Guys, listen, I've been doing this a long time, guys, a long, long time, and I get emails from all over the world. You know, I've had lots and lots of emails from people who have had the same kind of experience that I've had. 
I have never had one say, oh, Chris, I heard you talk about eating out of dumpsters in Houston, Texas, and, and I stopped drinking. <laughs> Ever. Because <sighs> I don't think I'm going to be that loser. Ever. I never intended to get to where I got. It just, ha- it just so happens. You just can't scare. You might scare an alcoholic into treatment. You might, but you're not going to scare them into recovery. They're going to have to want to do this to do it. My experience. Seven years in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous picking up chips and I can't get well. We had a message at one time. I know it's the big book, but I didn't own a big book. And I'm not taking shots at any of those people up in North Texas. They were nice, wonderful people. I still remember some of them today. Nobody was trying to hurt me. Please don't hear me say that they were... They just never got around to telling me what was wrong with me. And I see people come into Alcoholics Anonymous all the time that have that same experience. That nice lady that comes in, sits on the front row of the, of the AA meeting with a with her $500 Louboutin bag sitting on her lap. And she's got a little sheet she needs to get signed right after because she got caught drinking too much at the soccer game. Y'all, yeah. And you want to tell about six DWIs and chopping 15 people up and going to prison and and... Getting clip-on earrings. I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> got to do what you got to do sometimes. In uh, 1987, I uh, <laughs> I came home one night and picked up a stack of return checks in uh, in my mailbox. I was living by myself with a couple little stinky ferrets and. Uh, I love ferrets. I'm going to get one. I'm going to get one again. One of these days, I'm going to get one. And um, I uh, went up to the little apartment. I had a little 12-pack of Black Label beer, and I'm, I'm drinking a couple of beers, and I uh, opened the checks, and I realized I bankrupted another checking account. And uh, here I am one more time. I'm 35 years old. I'm living in a town I don't want to be in. I'm working at a job. My twin brothers hired me, and, I, and I'm so grateful for that job where I'd have been on the street. But I'm no good at it. I'm not talented like he is. And I just, I just, I got no girl in my life. I got no friends. I, I, I'm just, I'm alone, and I, I hate my life. I've been in therapy for years. I'm on all these medications. I've been to treatment. I know all about triggers. Trigger's a horse. He's dead. <laughs> and we all laugh. I don't care if I'm speaking here or in Europe. And we all laugh and we still teach this shit. I don't know. I don't know. I, uh, I got up and took a couple of bottles of pills and tried to commit suicide. And I uh, heard a voice that night and said, don't do it. Go back to AA. And I... Uh, the next day I went and got a doctor and got some doggy downers and uh, I had to go to work. And uh, at 6 o'clock I was running late and there was a meeting I knew about. Somebody had showed it. And I went over there to this meeting and uh, walked in the back door because I didn't want anybody to know I'm going back to Alcoholics Anonymous. I just... Myers sent me a picture the other day of that old truck I drove. All you had to do was look at that truck and know that a drunk drove it. <laughs> We're so not... Oh, my God. I don't want anybody to know I'm an, an AA. Yeah. I guess, I guess I'd been sober two, three weeks when I found out mom had me on the prayer list of every church in North Texas. <laughs> Even the Catholics were praying for me. 
I love it. I absolutely love it. And I walked in the back door, and I'll go real quick here because I've got this stuff I've got to cover. But, God, I was so self-conscious. I walked in. Y'all know how it goes. And, and I'm just, I'm a little, always a little skinny guy, but I've got kidney damage and liver damage, and I got, I'm swole up. I look like a, a snake that swallowed a dog. You know, I'm just like, <laughs> Patch is perpetually crooked, big old nasty full beard, because I think it looks cool. Long hair. I, I'm fruit of the loom t-shirt with a little pocket right in the center, you know. <laughs> Look like a stupid kangaroo. And I, I, that triggered me. I never mind. <laughs> and I walked in and the chairperson saw me, he says, Chris, come on in. You come in. And I got and I got real self-conscious. Lady laughed real loud over here and I said, Man, I can't do this. I'm going to leave. Guys, I'll be back. I just want to let you know I'm okay. I'm coming back to AA. Y'all can rest assured now. I'm, I'm, and uh, I got to go. And I took a step back and this little girl got between me and the door. I can't not tell it. And she got in the way between me and the door. I stepped on her foot. And she said, sit down, cowboy. You're not going anywhere. She pulled me down in a chair. And I'm like, what the heck? What? I'd love to know where she is. I get emails from everywhere. We, we, know, we don't date. We didn't date. She didn't sponsor me. I didn't sponsor her, although I probably could have. I just. She stopped me from leaving the room. Her sponsor was across the room, couldn't get to me, and she said, get him. And because she understood what her primary purpose was, guys, this is what we're supposed to do. And sat me down in a chair, and I spilled coffee for an hour, and they went around the room and shared how their lives had changed as a result of working the steps. That was the topic of the meeting. I'm less than 24 hours away from a suicide attempt, and they're going to go around and they're going to tell me how their lives have changed as a result of working the steps. Y'all realize that they had said, that's Tim Chris, how he got here, I'd have died. I'm so sick of hearing it, I could puke. Ooh, let me guess, you drank too much. Uh, I know there's lots of meetings out there, folks. I'm just, just saying. Those, go to those. Some of those are great, I'm sure. I just I like the literature so we can study it and everybody gets a chance to share. So anyway, at the end of the meeting, they asked me if I was ready to stay sober a day at a time, and I said absolutely. And I picked up another desire chip. And there's two old geezers came up, and they had a big book like this with duct tape on the back. They obviously used it. And uh, they said, Chris, can you sit with us for a few minutes so we can visit? I said, no, buddy, I'm detoxing like a big dog. It's, it's uh, 7 o'clock. I need, a, I need Kentucky Fried Chicken and then home for me. I'm, I'm gone. He said, no, I know. I know. You, you look like hell. And it, uh, just 15 minutes. we got to find out because we've watched you for seven years play this game. And now you're here. Let's find out at least why you can't stay sober. I can't stay sober because that woman left me. And I started off, and they just rolled their eyes and said, Chris, 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 quit. Let me ask you some questions. And they had that circle triangle in the front of the book that we used to have before we stupidly got rid of it. It's on the front. That's why we carry sticker, you know, little stamp your fronts. They said, Chris, what, what about recovery unity service? What are you, what about recovery? Have you, have you, what is that? It says 12 steps. I've been in AA 12 years, or seven years. I know what this is about. He says, have you worked all the steps? I'm working the steps to the best of my ability. That's, that means no. Eric, what's unity? I says, it's meetings. Meeting makers make it. They roll their eyes and they gave me a check. What service? They asked it. I said, well, sh- damn. Lisa, ask the question. Let me answer it. 
How many people have you sponsored in seven years? How many service committees have you been on? How many pots of coffee have you made? Have you done anything to help Alcoholics Anonymous? No. Thus the X. You got a three-part problem? There's a three-part solution. Chris, if you'll get in all three parts, you will never relapse. You'll go through hell. You'll have good days and bad days. But the obsession to use will go away. Folks, got to get clear. The 12 steps get us connected to this thing called God that we may or may not even believe in. And we have this thing called a spiritual experience and the obsession goes away. Some of you, I guarantee you, in this beautiful gathering are still struggling on a daily basis thinking about drinking or drugging. You're doing something wrong. You can recover from alcoholism. Lady in Alamo one time, she said it best. She said, God's grace is continual. We do the things we're supposed to be doing. You will not relapse. Guys, what kind of a... How many of y'all drank when everything was going really good in your life? How many of you drank when everything was going really shitty in your life? Oh, man. Daylight. Nighttime. Good woman. Satan's sister. Great job. Crappy job. Do you realize I could take a whole hour and do this? And have before? It just, it just, at the end of the day, nothing out there is going to cause me to drink. And I guess some of you in here will get sweaty and get mad. You'll be out there smoking, taking my inventory, you know, in less than an hour. But that little son of a bitch, he didn't know what I've been through. I know you've been through. And I, the last thing I would ever do is make fun of that. I'm not saying that your circumstances don't exacerbate the problem, but it's not the alcoholism or drug addiction. We've got to treat that. I've watched thousands of people come to treatment, deal with it therapeutically, and still drink. Because they didn't do the things that we were simply asking Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob and the first 100 did in the early days when they wrote the book. Get off your butt and do this work and your life will change forever. Bill Wilson wrote, there's a letter in 1942, he says, Our chief responsibility to the newcomer is an adequate presentation of the program. Did y'all get it? I got one responsibility to that newcomer, is an adequate presentation of the program. I'm not taking a shot, guys, but for seven years, keep coming back, it works if you work it, is not an adequate presentation of the program. These guys said, Chris, if you'll work with us, I guarantee you, if you'll work with us, we're going we're to get this thing. We're going to knock some home runs with it. We're, we'll help you out. The next morning, we did a third step prayer. That afternoon, they gave me a notebook. We went and got some Mexican food. And they gave me a notebook. We started working on a fourth step. Bam. Two weeks into this, I've got a completed fourth step. They're showing me how to meditate. And they're letting me be of service around the club for the first time. And I'm sitting on the tailgate of that truck and it dawns on me that the obsession to use is lifted. They showed me what to do. This assumption that the newcomer, because he's just got out of treatment, knows what to do is an assumption, folks. Most places are not teaching that. They got some suboxone shoved up their butt and that's the solution. (laughs) Probably shouldn't have said that either, but I did. Let me cut to the chase here, guys. Not um, not qualifying the, the, the drunk is probably the number one mistake that we make in Alcoholics Anonymous. Our, our membership survey, guys, that you can look at our, 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 our bi-quarterly, I forget 
how often they do it, our little membership surveys. We peaked in 1993 with about 2 million members. Since 1993, Alcoholics Anonymous has not grown any. We're still hovering around 2 million. Now, there's a lot of the 12-step fellowships that have scooped off a lot of these folks. There's close to 300 12-step fellowships out there now. A lot of that goes there. But i got to tell you something, folks. There's a lot of people come in with the absolute desire to stay sober, but we're not catching them and loving on them and teaching them like maybe we, we possibly should. Let me tell you, these guys, when they sat down, they said, they qualified me. They said, Chris, do you know what it is to be an alcoholic? And after some sputtering and yeah, you know, and maybe and not, it became evident to them that I couldn't explain to them what alcoholism is. I drink too much. Y- yeah? Do you understand why? Anyway, they sat down and they qualified me a little bit, guys. From the doctor's opinion up to page 23, we talk about the physical craving. Dr. Silkworth, neurologist at Towns Hospital for 16 years, he began to see some similarities anecdotally. This was not, this was not data compiled and mass, you know, this is not scientific. He just, the observation, he would have visiting royalty from, from other countries come to Towns Hospital to get sober. And he'd have gutter snipes off the street in Central Park come to the same hospital. And he was seeing the same symptoms in every single one of them. It didn't matter, rich or poor, gay, straight, black, white. It didn't make a damn bit of difference. The symptoms were the same. Treatment centers have played into this because we tried to separate it. Oh, we're all different. We have a women's program and a men's program and a gay program and a vet program and a this program and a professional program. At the end of the day, I'm not sure that we're doing more harm than good. Just a thought. You're not drinking because of those reasons. You're drinking because you have a genetically predisposed illness. My father was an alcoholic. My twin brother caught the bullet just like I did. Identical twins. That's what usually happens. Same eggy, same spermie. You know, okay. <laughs> alcoholic spermie, bam. And that's... I've got two sisters, though, that didn't have that. They've never had a problem with alcohol ever. Freaks me out still to this day. You going to drink that drink? One drink. No, no, no. I'm starting to feel it. <laughs> Me too. Do you want another drink or not? I don't... We're just wired separate. Same family, everything. But... And the genetic predisposition guarantees you folks in the progression of this, it will progress different in different people. I just got to say this, guys, just for your own, just for your own edification, because Dr. Silkworth was on to something when he started talking about this. The progression of this illness is going to be different in every single person. I sponsored a kid one time that had had two drunk driving charges. He blacked out both times he drank. Just, what a pisser. I mean, this guy had no social time of drinking. I know people, I've seen them in treatment, I've talked to them, I've sponsored guys that drank successfully for 40 years. And then towards the end of their life, in their 50s and 60s, wheels started coming off and the, sh- and the stuff started hitting the fan. It can take 50 years for the illness to progress to a place where you're going to take knowledge of it. And it can happen just like that. Stop looking at this chronologically. Number one death that we have out there in the recovery world right now is the college-age kids, the young people. Uh, travels faster in women than it does in men. I think personally because they're already evil and that's something that's probably got no I'm just joking I know I'm just joking I've done that with a thousand podiums and there's always one of you will come up madder than shit after the meeting I don't think it's right that you said that I'm just joking 
Guys, everybody wants to talk about the bottom. If you hit your bottom, you'll, you'll, okay. But every time you relapse and they scrape you off, well, she just didn't hit a bottom yet. She just hadn't hit a bottom. Listen, folks, my bottom was not listening to you talk about your DWIs. My bottom was these guys sitting in that smoky AA meeting in North Texas explaining to me the physical craving and the mental obsession. When they explained this to me, man, my head spun around. And for the first time, I understood I didn't have all these other psychiatric disorders. What I had was untreated alcoholism, and it was grinding me up. They sat down and asked me about the physical craving. Chris, what happens when you put alcohol in your system? Does a phenomena kick in and make it virtually impossible at certain times to stop? The key word there, phrase, I want to mention is at certain times. How many of y'all remember going, uh, going home after work, going to the bar, having two drinks, and going home? Raise your hand if you had, if you've done that. Uh, there you go. But you see, the young people, what they hear is, I didn't drink to a blackout every time I drank. The book says at certain times, y'all need to know that at certain times, alcohol, this craving, this phenomenon of craving, this physical response, can be satisfied with small quantities of alcohol. And some days, how many of you remember drinking an 18-pack of beer, you know, and just like wonder, why am I drinking? I'm, I'm just... You know. My wife used to come back a bunch of dead soldiers. My, you were thirsty this morning. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I never, I love Dr. Pepper too, but I never drank a six pack in the morning. <laughs> There's something more involved here. This craving, this separates us from normal people. This crazy, it's like being allergic to food. You're either allergic to peanuts or you're not. I'm allergic to peanuts. Okay, then don't eat peanuts. Deal. Y'all got it? Go look under her bed and see if she's got a bag of peanuts. I don't know. <laughs> the physical phenomenon is one question, but that's not fatal. At that point, it's just like being allergic to a food. If you know you can't do it without sometimes it getting away from you and drinking too much, you're making an ass of yourself, whatever, then quit. How many of you, I mean, how many of us have sat in that bathroom window with a goddamn door locked with tears in her eyes saying, I gotta, this is nuts. I gotta quit. I, 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 I can't keep doing this. You have every intention of quitting. See, and that's why Bill Wilson does it. Up to Dr. Page uh, 23, they talk about the physical craving. They also separate at 20 and 21, they talk about the moderate drinker, the hard drinker, but what about the real alcoholic? Bill Wilson uses the term over and over and over. The word real. If you want to piss a room off in AA, just introduce your, my name is Chris Rader. I'm a real alcoholic. <laughs> And you'll get some smoke, some bitch come up afterwards and say, oh, yeah, you think you're special, aren't you? Yeah, I do. Y'all, those are Bill Wilson's words. Because we've got a lot of people that are not alcoholic. They're not the real McCoy. They're hard drinkers. They drank, they puked, they took their clothes off, they acted like idiots. Woo-hoo! And they quit on their own. More power to them. I'm not concerned about those people. I'm concerned about the little knucklehead that believes he's going to be able to do the same thing. And he's the real McCoy. Ugh. I love those guys. Because it's not as dismal as it looks. Harry Tebow said you can hit a thousand bottoms, but until you find you surrender at one of those bottoms, you're just going to keep hitting bottoms. My surrender, my bottom, came from hearing my, my truth. The stuff that will get you guys, if any of you in this gathering tonight, anybody at home... 
When you, anybody that wants to know, understand this, from 23 to 43 are still some of my favorite pages in the book. They are my favorite pages in the book. 23 to 43, Bill Wilson talks about the mental obsession, because that's what makes this fatal. It's the mental obsession. Given sufficient reason, can you stop and stay stopped? I'm asking the questions on page 44. The two questions that you ask. AA's got me freaked out. They got a pamphlet. 22 questions, 44 questions. <laughs> Bill Wilson asked us two. You know, I don't know. It's just pretty simple. I, 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 we confuse things sometimes, sometimes a little bit. Yeah, it, yeah. There's one of the great lines in the book. I gotta read it. Page 24, it says, <laughs> The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower it becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory and suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. Y'all follow? It drives me crazy with the old guy. If you haven't, if you can't remember your last drink, you probably haven't had it. <laughs> Can you see it? Page 24 says you won't remember the consequences. You get caught in those mental blank spot, guys. I had a lady come up to me after after a lecture in treatment one time, and we were talking. She's just shaking mad. You don't understand. If I drink again, I'm going to lose these babies. And she had pictures of her kids, beautiful kids. And I said, man, I appreciate that. I understand. Do you think we'll see that? I'm going to put this on my refrigerator, and every day I'm going to look at it, and that's going to stop me. I guarantee you. So when she came back to treatment again, <laughs> but you see, so many people, even alcoholics Anonymous, don't understand that. They still believe if you want to stop bad enough, you'll be able to just stop on your own. There's a, uh, I read it all the time and I got to do it. Uh, uh, on Larry King, this was years ago. Somebody up here in the Northeast sent me this. It was a, it was an excerpt from an interview that uh, Larry King did with a, uh, you, you, an old news commentator on Fox. He's not there anymore, but was, I'm sure he was a nice guy. But he went to treatment. He had a public, very public drunkenness out there. And, and he went to treatment and he came back and he's talking to Larry. And he, and he says, I said, what gets me about these celebrity folks is, hey, we have a choice whether we're going to drink or not. Just get up and make the choice not to drink. It's just that simple. <laughs> no, guys. I mean, who knew? Oh, my God. But I know counselors in the treatment business that believe that. If you just really, 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 really want to, you're going to be able to stop. Guys, if the obsession continues to come back, you're going to drink. You're not going to think it through. You can take that Living Sober book and throw it as hard as you can. Absolute, absolute piece of crap. Absolute piece of crap. They published about the same time as they published Came to Believe, which is one of the best pieces of literature they ever produced. But I'm going to tell you, it, we're either dealing with a self-help program or a spiritual program of action. Bill Wilson is pretty clear about this, folks. Choice. There's this little window of opportunity. i got to mention, 
William White down in Florida is a publisher of uh, Chestnut Publishing for a million years. One of the best writers on recovery that there is out there. If you'll get a chance, if you email me, I'll send you the article. It's pretty good. It talks about this little window of opportunity. People used to call it the pink cloud. You know what I'm saying? But how many of y'all remember getting out of treatment or in AA for a couple of weeks and you just, God dang, this is bomb. You wash the car and balance the checkbook and you got your little eye on a little cutie over there and everything's going to be okay and you're feeling pretty good. You are. You have recovered. You're doing the work. You're kicking butt. Windows open. And then some well-meaning person slides up next to you and says, Oh, honey, you're going way too fast. This is not a race. Yeah, you're probably right. We don't even do four steps at this group until we're, until we're a year sober. Oh, man. All right. I like this group. <laughs> And the window's steady closing. And when that window closes, the obsession comes back, and you go buy some pills or drink some alcohol or smoke some crack or do whatever the hell you go do. Guys, no human can relieve what's wrong with you. You've got to have this thing called a spiritual experience, and that window stays open. Bill so beautifully talked about it earlier. Damn it. Good times, bad times. The obsession will stay away. Solid ground. That's why I will never stand up from this podium and not introduce myself as a man who has recovered. It's what my book tells me to introduce my, tells me how to introduce myself to the newcomer. I got one chance to share some hope with you and I'm going to do it. Not this tenuous one day at a time stuff. You're misreading what the book is saying. We live life a day at a time, folks. Daily reprieve based on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. It doesn't mean every day I've got to decide whether I'm going to stay sober or not. That's hell on earth. I don't have to make a decision because the obsession's gone. Ugh, I want everybody to get to that spot. There was a great quote Martin Luther King said, He who is convinced against his will is of the same mind still. Do you get it? Guys, you've got to make this decision for yourself. If you've got the symptoms, the physical craving, did you ever drink more than you intended? I'm going to give everybody one bonus puke, all right? <laughs> did, did you ever drink more than you intended more than once? Okay? Given sufficient reason, it's affecting your career, it's affecting your family, it's affecting your health. Have you been able to stop and stay stuck? Welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah, that's exactly what this is about. i got to mention this. Because I can. <laughs> I know there's got some two-part pukes in here, and I just want to clear that up real quick. <clears throat> the things that separate us from the normies out there are the physical craving and the mental obsession. I'll agree with that. I guarantee you everybody out there is irritable, restless, and discontent at certain times. It makes sense? My little sister that's not an alcoholic, I guarantee you she has days when she feels bored, anxious, this low self-esteem. She feels wor- I'm, I'm not knocking any of that. The thing I want the alcoholic to understand is, and Bill Wilson understood it and wrote extensively about it, that three-part legacy that we have, that spiritual malady that the book talks about. Spiritual malady, untreated alcoholism, and unmanageability are all the same thing. Go into an AA meeting tonight and say, let's talk about unmanageability, and everybody will start talking about their external world. My credit card's that. That's not what the big book's talking about. Big book's talking about is right here inside me. Why is it that I can be in a room of loving people and be miserable? 
This low self-esteem, this feeling of uselessness that the book talks about on page 52. When I stop drinking and I don't do the things necessary to get spiritually connected, that internal shit will come back and kick your butt. I don't want you to get confused because some people teach it that you get irritable, restless, and discontent, and then the obsession kicks in, and then you drink and the craving. It's the cycle. Guys, I, I'm going to back up a little bit because I know a lot of people. Oh, Fred. Fred's one of my favorites. It's in those pages from 23 to 43 that we're talking about. Real quick. <laughs> he goes on and on and on. Isn't it? it was a perfect... One day I went to Washington to prevent some accounting evidence to a government bureau. I'd been out of town before during that particular dry spell. Nothing new there. Physically, I felt fine. Neither did I have any pressing problems or worries. My business came off well. I was pleased and knew my partners would be too. It was the end of a perfect day, not a cloud on the horizon. Y'all follow? Bill Wilson, two of these stories in here, and these, there's five of them, two of these stories. Bill Wilson takes care of all, away all the triggers. <laughs> he takes care of, right? Come on, guys, how can you beat this shit? It was the end of a perfect day, not a cloud on the horizon. This guy's got money. He's getting some pokey pokey. It's good life. Listen, I went to my hotel and leisurely dressed for dinner. As I crossed the threshold of the dining room, damn it, the thought came to mind that it would be nice to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. That was all, nothing more. I ordered the cocktail with my meal. Y'all follow? You don't have to be irritable, restless, and discontent in a bad place to want to drink. It could be in the end of a perfect day and want to drink. I would suggest that some of you that are bothered by that, we're going to open up some like windows so that y'all can get out so y'all don't have to cross the threshold out there because it might. <laughs> oh, that sarcasm was going to get me in so much trouble. After we, he, this guy qualified me the next day before we did a third step. And Katie's going to come back here in a minute and talk about third step stuff. I had a guy sit down and ask me some questions about this second step stuff. Y'all know second step? Came to believe a power greater than myself, ourselves could restore us to sanity. Wow, Bill Wilson's kind of black and white on this. And I'm, I'm praying that you guys don't take anything I say here out of context because I love everyone. And the atheists, you're welcome and I love you. I love you more because you're going to need all the love you can get. <laughs> Just kidding. On page 44 in the book to chapter the agnostics in that first couple of paragraphs, it says about half of us had a problem with God. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what it says. About half of us had a problem with God. That means <gasps> the other half didn't. I mean, I got people, guys, up there where I live, there's a, there's a lady over in town that she's got these guys working on the second step for weeks. My sponsor has me riding around the good, okay, you know, I don't understand that. You know, if this is a yes or no question, second step proposition, God either is or he isn't. What's the answer going to be? Well, I don't believe in God. Okay, but are you willing to even look at the consideration that maybe there might be something out there bigger than you? Well, I guess. Come on, brother. Let's go. Because I guarantee you, you work these steps, you're going to get in touch with something. And it'll blow you out of the water. It'll change you forever. God damn it. Listen. Cry like a kid. At least I only got one eye to wide. (laughs) 
that was uncalled for. <laughs> Guys, I tried for seven years to quit drinking. I, I, I depended on a sponsor to keep me sober. I depended on a group to keep me sober. I depended on a group, people. Guys, all of that, none of that's going to work. At the end of the day, the obsession to use is either going to be removed or it's not. Guys, and it's just real simple. If you're sitting in this gathering and you're still thinking about taking a drink, then we need to do some more work. Come on with us. It's, it's a, but if you won't even try with this idea that there's something out there bigger than you, God, if I told you what I pray to every morning, every night, what I, how I, who I asked to keep me from dying in that airport in Atlanta, oh my God, you, it'd freak you out. That's okay. It's my God. That's the beauty of this program. We can get our higher power any way we want to. It's just... Years ago, somebody sent me this quote, and I'm not going to beat this to death. The reunion with one's own creator is truly life's highest experience. To rob a person of this experience by offering or leading him towards something less should be classified a crime. Yeah, amen. The assumption that the newcomer can't handle this idea about a spiritual experience is just an assumption. I mean, going to a meeting, we start talking about this and everybody wants to start making excuses. Oh, well, don't, don't worry about that spiritual stuff right now. You just keep coming to meetings. No, let me be the first to tell you, worry about that spiritual stuff right now. We just sometimes, we, we, we make this way complicated, more complicated than it has to be. If you look at the ABCs on page 60, what's it say? That God could and would if He were sought. It didn't say that God could and would if He were found. <laughs> Buddies, you can't fail. You can't not find this. If you come at this with an open mind and say, I'm willing. I don't even care what attitude you bring to it. But you can't get a word in edgewise with some people. There's a, listen, there are a dozen fellowships out there for, for the people that don't believe in God at all. And I don't have a problem in the world with that. But I'm going to tell you here, folks, this key piece here that Bill Wilson wrote in very simple language about the necessity of a spiritual experience is, the, is, is what we hang our hat on. This is what gets us sober. This is unapologetically about God. In a letter from Carl Young, Bill Wilson, in 1961, he writes, Union with God as essential to recovery. I mean, the old geezers, guys, that I learned from, there's a guy named Larry Jewell uh, who took Alcoholics Anonymous from, I think, at Cleveland or Cincinnati to Texas. His health was really bad, and the doctors patted him on the butt and gave him a big book. He'd never been to a meeting. There was no 90 meetings, 90 days. And I hate that. <laughs> When I get to be king of AA, they will not be that quote ever. <laughs> Y'all know why I don't like that? I got a couple of minutes. You know why I don't like that? Because it sets people up for an ass weapon. It sets people up for failure. I've seen it a thousand times, especially women. You, you got a couple of kids, you're going to 90 meetings in 90 days, and your sponsor's over there watching, marking it off, you know. And about day 60, one of the kids gets sick, got a fever. You gotta stay home, take care of them. You miss the meeting. You come back in the next day, tell them, ah, I got, I missed the meeting. I had, my kids were sick. Well, honey, that wasn't the deal we had. You gotta start over now. 
And she said, you know what? Bite me. And she's out. Guys, it makes us sound cultish. It makes us sound ridiculous. Circle triangle. Equilateral. Twelve steps. Meetings. Sponsorship. Guys, we're all going to do it a little bit different. Some of us can go to a meeting every day. I'm not knocking meetings. Go to three a day. Damn loser. I don't know what to tell you. No, I'm only half joking. I mean, uh, come on. I got a garden to plant. I got a bicycle to ride. I'm, I did 53 miles Sunday. God, come on, let's go. I'm trying to train here. I, I don't have to, I can't be in a meeting every day. I love meetings. It's a part of it. The fellowship is so important. Yo, I'm not knocking meetings. Please don't misquote me. I'm just saying stop with the 90 and 90 crap. It's just, it's not, it's not necessary. And it's not in the book. It's not based on anything. So. Yeah. Two real things. I got I forget to tell you real quick. Two weeks after I got into that AA group in 1987, and I'm sitting on the tailgate of that truck, and it dawns on me. I'm looking up at that house, that apartment up there with the lights on, and my dope dealer lives in that house. And there's a 7-Eleven and a stop and go. It's the corner of Corporate and 121 in Louisville, Texas, and I'm surrounded by liquor stores. Y'all follow? I got a tab and a, and it just dawns on me. It's a Friday, and I got money in my pocket, and I don't want to drink. It dawns on me that the obsession is lifted. And I'm on solid ground. I'm a cat that could not not drink. Maybe that's why I hit this so hard. My passion, I know, scares some folks and freaks some people out. I sound like a Baptist minister up here. I get a little, I get a little possessive of our fellowship. If our success rates were through the ceiling and our membership were rising, I'd just shut up. But they're not. Because too many people want to take liberties with what was written in that book. And it drives me crazy sometimes. You too. <laughs> Somebody sent me a little text the other day, for a Hindu proverb. There are hundreds of paths up the mountain, all leading to the same place. So it doesn't matter which path you take. The only person wasting time is the one that runs around the mountain telling everyone that his or her path is wrong. Ooh, I love that. Y'all, I don't know what your path's going to look like. I just know there needs to be a path. And if you get on it and start seeking this power, start listening. Bill said something so poignant this, earlier this afternoon as he was sharing. And it's something that I just... 31 years ago, these guys started talking to me about, about awakening my spirit so that I could get guidance from this power. It wasn't, let's awaken our spirit so that we can stay sober a day at a time, which is a good thing. It starts with sobriety. But... But to waken your spirit and all of a sudden you start getting guidance in prayer and meditation. I watch people sit in treatment and have barn-burning spiritual experiences because they're doing the work and the obsession lifts and all of a sudden they can start getting some guidance that they need. Are you supposed to be in that relationship you're in? Are you supposed to be at that stupid job that you hate? I mean, we've got a lot of people in here that need to learn to re-dream about what this whole thing is about. It's not okay that you sit in Alcoholics Anonymous and be miserable. Perhaps it is that you can't, your spirit, my job still 31 years later is to, is to keep my spirit awake. Some of us old geezers in here, I can tell, I, I go to sleep sometimes and, and just come, my head, just, you can hear it, is it inserts itself back in my own butt. <laughs> There's a graphic for you. But y'all, 
I was telling this story when I was in Georgetown a couple of weeks ago. Real quick. I'm coming out of Walmart and uh, at night, real quick, got to go, busy like a son of a gun. You know me, busy, busy. Walk fast, carry a clipboard. You know, uh, <laughs> I got my stuff and I'm heading to the car and I glance over to the side and there's this old geezer. He's got one of these old t- Lincoln Town cars. They'll, this low, low, anyway, he's got a pallet full of dog food out there. And this is an old geezer and he's out there struggling with one of these bags trying to get it in the back of his trunk. And I, I walk by him. I'm just, I'm really busy. I got a lot of things to do. I got a call to call. My sponsees are nuts and I got to go get that, you know. And I get about halfway to my truck and says, what the, what? Y'all think I'm talking about awakening your spirit just in Alcoholics Anonymous? I'm sorry. You misunderstood me. Wake up. I'm doing the work and I sponsor and I have a sponsor. And I stay connected to my little buddies and I am pretty awake most times. And I made a choice to walk by this old geezer. And I also stopped dead in the middle. Car honked at me. I stopped right in the middle of the damn road. Turned around and walked back. He's over in the dark. I walked up to him real slow. If you're wearing a black eye patch... <laughs> it's, you just you can approach people, but you have to do it slowly. You just have to make noise. Here, I'm coming, coming towards you, boss. Coming down here. You know, Moving your way, moving your way. I'll sit, I guarantee you when I sit on an, in an airplane, if there's an empty seat in the whole plane, it'll be right next to me. It's used to hurt my feelings, now I just dig it, I just spread out, you know, it's okay. But I go up there and say, Bubba, Bubba, what, can I help you with that? He says, God dang, somebody better. I thought I could do this. And I, we start laughing, and I picked up an end, we, we loaded that damn pallet up, and I asked him, I said, you got somebody on the other end to help you unload this shit? He said, yeah, my wife's there. She can unload this shit by herself. And I, said, <laughs> I had to, I had to laugh. I said, okay, like that. He shook my little hand, little bony fingers, and I just, I just walked onto my car. My, my trip out of Walmart was, I'm really busy, i got lots of stuff to do, I need to slow down, I need to change this. And then I walked back out, and now all of a sudden I can see the sun going down over here, and the little crickets chirping, and... Damn it. We're supposed to be servants. We're supposed to... Our awakened spirit, what allows us to experience what... I don't know how long i got left to live in this world, neither do you. And some of us are just spent all knotted up. And this is what my sponsorship lineage talks about. This whole idea is what the book talks about of taking that awakened spirit and going back out there and kicking some butt. This is about getting a cool job, folks. This is about going to make some money. I'm lucky that I ended up in that room in 1987 with a bunch of old bastards that said, Chris, you go do whatever you want to go do. I wanted to be a screen printer so bad I'd make your, I'd been studying and reading and I had a little drawing. I wanted to screen print a little t-shirt and you know, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm talking about it. The state of Texas will actually put you in school and give you some classes if you're, you know, if you're messed up like me. <laughs> Who knew? And I had a chance to go take these little classes and I'm sitting there talking about it in an AA meeting and, uh, there's a guy over in the corners, as usual. You can't make any changes in the first year. You're not supposed to do that. Okay. And I sat right down next to a guy, and he said, You know what? It's amazing that you said that. i got a, guy, a warehouse over in Mesquite, Texas, that's loaded with screen print equipment. If you help me clean that some bitch out, I'll make you a deal on that equipment. It was like a real deal on that equipment. My brother had some spot on the binding floor, and I started a little screen print company. 
Five months sober. Some of the best years of my life. I'd stay up all night long, work on a piece of artwork, get all excited about a project. Do you realize how many nights I just drank myself to spitless and scared to death and wake up in the night terrors and just hate my existence? Less than a few weeks earlier, I'm contemplating suicide. Guys, we need to encourage the newcomers to get excited about their life. Stop worrying about the triggers and all this stress. Because that's exactly what this is about. Living life large. Read this quote, and I'm going to close. This is not in the big book. You little big book thumpers, don't spend all night long all jacked up on energy drink looking looking for this quote. It is not in the big book. I'm telling you now. Some nice lady named Jane Howard, whoever it is, but it's a pretty good quote. And it's so applicable in what we're talking about this weekend. Call it a clan. Call it a network. Call it a tribe. Call it a family. Whatever you call it, whoever you are, you need one. Thank you guys.